Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin, and in this episode, Justin and I sat down with Jacqueline Claudia from Love the Wild. Jacqueline is a young and ambitious entrepreneur who started Love the Wild out of Colorado, and she is doing some amazing things for the marketplace, taking a different approach than a lot of other companies, kind of focusing on different ways to get the word out about seafood and dispel some of these myths and some of the misconceptions. And she has some really cool ideas and some amazing products that we talk a little bit about. I hope you enjoy your conversation. I know I got a lot out of it. I'm pretty sure Justin got a lot out of it. Maddie didn't get anything out of it at the time because she wasn't with us when we recorded it, unfortunately, but I'm sure she'll get a lot out of it when she listens to it. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Thanks so much for listening into the Aquademia podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Justin Grant. And we are here today with Jacqueline Claudia from Love the Wild. How's it going, Jacqueline? It's going great. Hi, guys. Uh, Love the Wild has been doing some really cool things. You have a team of four, correct? Yeah. Just four Small people. And mighty. <laughs> and, making, and making some big waves. Pun intended, serious yeah. <laughs> waves in the industry. So before we get into what Love the Wild is, why don't you give our listeners a quick little intro of yourself, what your background is, how you got to where you are now. Sure. I get this question a lot, actually. How did I turn fishy? So, oh, I like that. Uh, yeah. I grew up in western Pennsylvania. My dad was a coal miner, so I'm probably the least likely seafood entrepreneur you'll ever meet. Um, we ate fish on Fridays and Lent, and those were some of the more traumatizing experiences of my childhood. <laughs> did not grow up a fish lover. I can relate to that. I, yeah. was, I was the same way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... The more I learned about sustainable aquaculture, I just was hooked. And, you know, I still had these moments, though, where, you know, as much as you can love the potential for it to feed the world and all of the promise that there is and all of the hope, uh, you still have to put it in your mouth if you're going to get any benefit from it. And there's a huge, huge segment of the population, especially in the U.S., that grew up like me that, you know, just really has trouble figuring out how to incorporate seafood into their diet. Yeah, so. yeah we did an episode recently where we actually addressed that directly we had sherry clark talking about it who's a dietitian she actually works she's a registered dietitian but she works here Mm part-time in marketing and she was talking about that how in the u.s it's i think only one in four americans get the recommended amount one in ten one in ten okay wow (laughs) that's really bad yeah um so yeah we need we need to fix that and that's why we're doing this so you're um, hoping for one in four uh, yeah you can yeah (laughs) that's a stretch goal for the industry (laughs) one in four would be be pretty sweet yeah so talk to me about love the wild how did that get started what are you doing what's what's in the future what's what's coming hmm Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's um, a big question. Just yeah, yeah. So start at the beginning and go. You're, let's you're break on it down. <laughs> you have no time limit for me. So. <laughs> well, um, the company is about four years old now, which, you know, sometimes I think about this four years and it went by in the blink of an eye. And other times it's like dog years. <laughs> you know, like when you're when you're in a startup, it's a lot of work and it's a it's a lot of learning um, all the time. But, you know, I started the company. Before I started the company, I was working with Neil Sims on the Valella project and fell in love with aquaculture. 
and thought I was going to be a fish farmer. So I spent, you know, a couple of years trying to help him scale that business and really just fell in love with the potential and the people. And I had these moments, though, where, you know, I thought to myself, you know, what's the point of growing all of this sustainable fish that's delicious and nutritious and beneficial and all of these good things if nobody eats it? And so I finally said, you know what? I'm not a fish farmer. I'm not a mad scientist. I can play one on TV, but like <laughs> if we get right down to it, that's not who I am. But I thought that, you know, because I, I understand this problem kind of so viscerally on a personal level, that I might be the right person to help create that translation point between the great fish and what's happening on the water and the people who need to be eating it if we have any hope of saving our food system. So I convinced my cousin-in-law, Christy, to start this company with me. We clinked a glass and got going. Um, nice. Now, when was that? Was you, four years ago? You said that was August of 2014. Okay. Now, yeah. was the glass clink? Was it? We're going to call this "Love the Wild." Like, did you? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, we had both spent enough time kind of dancing around the startup world to know that you can operate in a vacuum and get nothing done and get nowhere really fast. Um, because if you keep asking people that know you and love you for advice and for feedback, all you're going to mm. get data boys, right? Yep. So when we started the company, our objective was to learn and fail as quickly and cheaply as we could. So we actually launched and put our first products on the shelf in four months, which in the food world is a goddamn miracle, right? Yeah. You start from like nothing to a product in packaging with nutritional labeling and all of the you know USDA and FDA like labels and stuff you need to have sitting on the shelf with the price tag in front of it and then me and Christy awkwardly lurking in the background <laughs> watching to see if people would pick it up yeah. buy yeah. it <laughs> we had a lot of odd encounters with people in parking lots like oh hey have you had that before is that any good <laughs> you know I heard it was great you should you know buy <laughs> a bunch of it where were your first products being sold in Boulder Colorado well in two stores in Colorado one was in um, downtown Boulder, which is kind of your more affluent, young urban professional market. And then they had another location out in Louisville, which is more kind of families, suburbia. So we had two kind of test markets. Cool. And they let us experiment endlessly. We put hundreds of iterations of the product on the shelf, literally hundreds. They're like, I don't care what you do. Just don't change the SKU numbers so that I can scan them. <laughs> and I don't want to have to stock the shelves. But if you handle it, you can do it. Well, I don't think everyone would have an opportunity opportunity like that, you were really able to find what works and what doesn't in a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, we spent about a year just experimenting and we thought we learned like 80% of what we needed to learn before mm -hmm. we kind of launched more aggressively. And during that time, we had people, you know, telling us and encouraging, encouraging us to like go more broadly, more quickly. And we're like, no, guys, <laughs> we lose so much money on every box that we sell. You know, the, the goal here isn't to grow quickly, it's to learn and establish, then take what we learn. Establish a brand and yeah. yeah. And and then kind of roll it out the right way because we didn't want to cut corners on things that were important to us. Okay. And that's where most startups fail, I'm sure. So that's remarkable that you were able to get that going so quickly. That's pretty cool. So how does it work now? Do you have contracted farms or how does what's what's the process for getting your product to market out, out on the shelf? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in some Cause ways because I know that your team of four people are not growing the fish, processing the fish, <laughs> and shipping it out and driving it to the stores. <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore. Although, you know, we did deliver our first couple of loads to the stores in the back of my minivan. So, nice. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, you know, in some ways, it looks 
very similar in that, you know, we have complete control over our seafood sourcing. That's one piece of what we do that we'll never give up. We've mm. got very high standards and BAP is a part of that. And we contract directly with the farms, um, you know, so we purchase directly so that we know exactly what we're getting and when we're getting it and kind of control over the process. But the rest of it, you know, has grown quite a bit. When we started getting larger and larger retail accounts, managing the pipe fill and our own manufacturing organization was really tough, right? Like when you go from needing to make like 20 cases this week to making 30 pallets this week, you know, just literally didn't have the space to <laughs> store that much frozen product. It was crazy. So we had to um, start. It's a big problem to have. <laughs> yeah. We had to start bringing on partners to manage pieces of the manufacturing process for us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we still control the pieces that are critical, we think, to the customer experience and to the change that we're trying to make happen. And we've, you know, brought on experts who are better than us in things like logistics and hot filling and all the little pieces that go in between. So there's really two parts to what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, you have the the business side of these these kits that you're selling, Mm -hmm. but you're also doing advocacy work and kind of getting word out there of kind of dispelling some of these myths about farmed seafood that it's not all what you hear in in headlines it's not as bad or as bleak as some people may think based off headlines that are continuing to yeah pepper there's a lot of fear mongering outlets out there and people tend to gravitate towards that pretty quickly and then when you give them real information that isn't as sexy as you know tilapia eating poop then (laughs) you know they they you don't get as much of a response to that so yeah what do you think are some of these the biggest myths that people see around aquaculture and seafood in general? You know, Katrina and I were talking about this at lunch today, and I think my highly unsatisfying answer is I would be thrilled if people had myths about aquaculture that were widely held. But I think that most people don't even think about it. And in some ways, I feel like that's a huge advantage that we're not exploiting, right? Like we were, we were talking about... The last time you went to the store and you bought some chicken, like how hard did you think about that? I mean, did you think about which farm it came from? Did you think about the stocking density in the pens where that chicken lived? Did you think about what were the components of the feed that chicken ate? Did you think about did it have white feathers or red feathers? Probably not. You probably didn't think about any of that. If you're asking me. Yeah. The answer is no. (laughs) Right. But we as an industry, I think, have kind of in some ways, really overcomplicated seafood to an extent where the people who are listening to our messages and are engaged in our messages are already the people who are consuming seafood, right? Correct. So we're yep. in some ways adding to that problem. And then the folks who are not engaged in seafood, those nine out of 10 Americans, we're making it really tough to engage. And at the end of the day, I kind of don't care if they engage as long as they eat it, because that's where the win occurs. That's where we grow demand for seafood. That's where we increase our population health. That's where we're able to make change. I don't care if people understand all of the fantastic science and what a smart decision they made. Just make the decision, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. But what if, I mean, what you hear a lot is, you know, we harp on it all the time on this show. If you listen, if anyone listens to our previous episodes, almost every single episode, we say, we mention the need for education, ask questions when you're buying your seafood, you know, educate yourself, do some research. What we see a lot is, I don't know anything about seafood. It does seem complicated. They do say that, but then it's usually, I just know that you don't buy farmed. So then we're in a unique position where, okay, how do we change the one thing that people think they know about seafood and how do we approach that conversation and I think that's something that a lot of people in the industry have trouble with is how do we actually have these conversations 
and you have these conversations all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you ha- approach these these types of of uh, misconceptions? Yeah, putting it into perspective, I don't have these conversations as many times as I imagined that I would have these conversations when I started the company. Um, hmm. You know, and just a quick data point on that. You know, we've spent hundreds of thousands of hours demoing products in stores, touching and talking to consumers after consumers after consumers. Mm-hmm. I would say that seven out of a hundred of them care if it's farmed or if really? it's wild and have a value judgment in one way or another, right? And you get weird bubbles, right? Like in Boulder, it's actually pretty pro-farmed because folks have a very um, kind of advanced understanding of the food system and security and things like that. And you get in other places. Well, it's really it's progressive. Hard. That's yeah. a really progressive part of the country, too. Yeah. You know, and we, we sell products successfully in plenty of places that, that don't have those perceptions in there. People just care. Oh, that tastes good. That's easy. OK, where is it? Yeah. Great. You yeah. know, and they, they throw a couple in the cart. But, you know, when we do have the conversations, I find the things that folks gravitate towards the most and the things that um, help overcome the hurdles are putting it in language that they can understand, right? So just as a for example, this week we did an Instagram post with a baby flamingo in it that was kind of gray and covered with a little bit of mugs that fell down the hill and mommy's head sticking in there and mm. it's bright pink. And we're you gotta like, tug those heartstrings. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not over kind of shameless promotion of baby animals to accomplish greater goal here. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the point here is, guess what, guys? You know, flamingos were born gray and they turned pink because of, you know, the acetanthin in the crabs and the shrimp that they eat. And did you know what? That's exactly how salmon turned pink, too. And this acetanthin is not dye. That's a common myth. In fact, you can buy capsules of it at Whole Foods Market, right? So that was the second picture in the Instagram post was my hand holding a bottle of acetanthin tablets with the Whole Foods logo on it because it was their Mm -hmm. private label one. That got pretty quickly over 1,500 likes on Instagram and something like 70, you know, shares, which for us is a tremendous amount of engagement. Mm -hmm. I think for any seafood company on Instagram, that's a lot of engagement. Absolutely. People are like, oh, I never knew that. I never understood. Now it makes sense. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is, that's probably the number one myth that I have had conversations with people about. I actually used to work at the New England Aquarium and I wrote and gave a talk at the salmon tank about that, astaxanthin specifically, and attacking the myth that they're just died. And I listened to, it was really sad. I brought (laughs) this up. color fan? Yeah, yeah. I brought brought this up in in another interview that we had too, but I, it, it it makes me really upset. <laughs> I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which I will not mention, but they were talking about things from the food industry that you don't know that that the food industry hides from you or whatever. And one of the things was the Salmo fan. And they said, they have this, this Salmo fan that's like paint swatches. And you go to the fish farms and you say, I want this color salmon. And then they inject that color into your <laughs> salmon. And then that's what they sell. That's what they give you. And, and that's what goes in your grocery stores. And I'm not usually this guy, but I emailed the, <laughs> I emailed the host and I say, hey, you got this wrong. Let me explain how the Salmo fan works to you. Um, and I never got a response, but it was really upsetting to see one of my favorite shows just promote such false information. Yeah, it just, so. I mean, it boggles the mind, though. I mean, do they think that there's like people there sitting around with like big syringes and they, you know, is there injecting these fish and it 100 percent evenly covers all of the flesh <laughs> and instantly? You need, and you need to think about it logically. Like how many people do you think are sitting in like underground layers in big thrones just laughing maniacally and trying to poison people? <laughs> like people we're, we're producing food for people to eat. The people who produce it are eating it, too. I mean, yeah. they're not evil. 
So that's like it's it's a it's a strange misconception that they just think anyone who's farming seafood, not just fish, shrimp too, is just these bad evil corporations that want to control you or something. It's really strange. It's hard when negative headlines and maybe this is a misconception, but I I feel like negative headlines stick with people more than the positive ones. Absolutely. And I had a conversation with my in-laws couple months ago and some bad headline came out about tilapia that was not true and they told me because they knew I work in the seafood industry that we just read this article and we're so disappointed we love tilapia and we're not going to eat it anymore and so I have to but you love it (laughs) why would you not eat it so you know then I have to put on the educational hat just a little bit just to explain like you said in simple enough terms to not confuse and overwhelm so that they don't end up choosing you know chicken over tilapia not the chicken is bad for our land-based protein lovers (laughs) myself included just simplifying the message so that they would still not turn away tilapia especially if they like it so that's all i had to mention yeah. about that <laughs> well yeah. that's one of the things though that we're we're starting to take head on at love the wild and these clickbait type headlines you know definitely deliver on the clicks and the ad revenue that these media outlets are looking for but i feel like it's not necessarily there to be insidious, right? I feel like there's just a lack of understanding and a lack of credible resources for journalists out there today. And, you know, they've got a lot of work on them. And, you know, the rate through which they need to put out pieces, you know, there's not often a lot of times to fact check. And if you kind of go back and you look at these negative headlines, they reference other negative headlines, not the peer-reviewed science, right? And so we've started putting out infographics and resource pieces that are designed for journalists and influencers influencers specifically that have peer-reviewed research, you know, tied to the claims that are interesting claims that I think are places where seafood can potentially win, that I feel that, you know, as an industry, if we make it easier rather than harder for folks to get the real information, we might start to see, you know, a change in that because it's easy to latch onto a, oh, tilapia is terrible, it's worse than bacon, when there's other things that I think would be equally clickbaity. Like, did you know that if you ate seafood twice a week, you can raise your blood DHA and EPA levels to a therapeutic level that's going to be more impactful for your brain health than Prozac or psychotherapy? You know what I mean? Like that today, I think- Write is it a, down. It's a really <laughs> relevant question, and, and especially for today's younger consumer who's looking for less additives, less interventions, to understand the tremendous impact that diet can have on your ability to achieve your own personal best. I think those are the types of things that people are going to be excited about, just mm-hmm. as excited as, oh, bacon bad, you know? Yeah, yeah I saw, I mean, I, I have a lot of people that I'm connected with on social media from where I grew up, which is a very rural, small town in New Hampshire. So there's not as many open minds where I come from. I uh, will put it that way. And um, you see people sharing things like, like that, like the tilapia is worse than bacon and things. And then, oh, I'm never eating you know any seafood because all you can get is this horribly farmed nasty seafood and then they the next day they're sharing something that say like oh i always take my fish oil supplement every day to make sure it's like okay <laughs> like let, let's uh let's let's think about this from a logical standpoint and you know, if you want to get healthy food healthy things into your body why are you not just eating it you got to go around and get these extra supplements so it's th- there's a lot of just misinformation and we need well, to attack it i i think as an industry though Let's call a spade a spade. I feel like we've been fighting a battle for a long time, both with each other and and outwardly. 
And we're using these myths in the media as an excuse to keep ourselves from spending the time and the money in marketing and innovation that other elements of the food system have, right? I think that we maybe overestimate the importance of the outrage around these headlines. Like, for example, we have school shootings. And for the next three days, everyone is so overwhelmed and we need to change. We need to fix it. And then two weeks later, it's gone. It fades, yeah. Yeah. Gone from the conversation, gone from the headlines until the next then it's school about shooting, a, 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 and then it's a big deal again, you yeah, know? Until you get a story about an animal that was killed in a zoo or something, and then you talk about that for the next two weeks, yeah. And then it goes away, right? Yeah. But what happens in between? I think that's where we need to do the work and create products that meet people where they are and what they need. Do they need to understand all the science behind it? I don't think so. I think that we're we're making it overcomplicated. Do we need there to be top-notch science and be pushing the frontier every day as an industry? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to break our arms patting ourselves on our back about it. We need to make great food that tastes great and that people want to buy regardless of everything else that went into it. I mean, people eat 40 pounds of French fries a year. That's four times as much seafood as they eat a year in America. And I don't think anyone's under any delusions that French fries are good for them, but they eat it anyways. We should have such a much easier job with seafood. Well, and and we've talked about this again in past episodes. We have a lot of options in the seafood industry. There's a lot of different tastes that are out there. So if you know, for someone, one of our list, if any of our listeners are out there that are trying seafood for the first time or have had a bad experience when they were younger, there are other options that are out there that might meet their palate and they may find something that they actually enjoy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in some ways it frustrates me that we call it a seafood industry, right? Like we don't have a vegetable industry, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Like, you know, if you don't like Brussels sprouts, that doesn't mean you're not going to like salad or carrots or beans or, you know, I mean, I eat a lot of vegetables, but there are some I just don't like, you know, Um, and, and similar to seafood, You can't just eat carrots and check the box. Oh, I ate my vegetables. I got everything I needed. Seafood, different species have such different nutritional profiles that you actually need to be grazing across species in the same way. You can't just eat your salmon, even though it's fantastic. It's great protein and it's got a lot of really good things in it. That's not going to deliver for you the full punch that seafood can potentially. So Mm. when we simplify it down to eat seafood, I feel like we're in some ways kind of doing it a disservice. Mm -hmm. It is this broad thing. I'll agree with that. But I also would think that that's almost where we have to start is say, just eat seafood. Like I don't, you're not eating any seafood. I don't care what it is. Just start with something. Oh, I agree. Pick one thing that sounds delicious, looks delicious to you. Once a week, step away from the burger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just start, just get seafood. Don't care what it is. Scallops, shrimp, lobster, swordfish, swordfish, anything, Mm. not shark fin soup. But just <laughs> find yeah. something, start there, and then broaden your, your diet from there. So I, I'd agree that I think it can do it a disservice. And we've talked about that a lot, how you, you say, you know, the beef people say eat beef, the chicken people say eat chicken. And then we're like, eat this and this and this and this and that and that's and, and it, it gets overwhelming. Yeah. So I think narrowing it down to just starting with just eat seafood is a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, I think, though, that we need to do some work as an industry, though, at what the high level messages are that support that, because the things that people associate with seafood are not across the board true. Right. Like every seafood that you eat is not going to deliver high levels of omega threes for you. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that, you know, something like tilapia is bad because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have high levels of omega three. It's you know, it wins 
in other areas. But, you know, what are those kind of two or three key messages that support eating seafood? And for me, I really feel like our potential to close the protein gap in a responsible way is a critical piece of that. And for us, you know, we call our company Love the Wild and, you know, consumers grasp that pretty quickly. We don't get blowback from consumers. You Mm -hmm. know, most of the questions we get are from folks in the industry. Mm. But why is your company called Love the Wild if you sell responsibly farmed seafood? And for me, it's because this is how we're going to keep our wild places wild. If we want our amazing biodiversity, then we can't clear cut that rainforest and plant it full of soybeans or graze cattle on it. Like that's our solution that we're going to have to roll to if we don't get people adopting more seafood more often. So thinking about how do we support that message? I'm glad that that naturally came up in conversation because that was a good segment. I think we have conversations about wild versus farmed and, you know, trying to say that we can't trying to figure out a better way to say that too, because wild it, versus farmed is not how we should be approaching. No, it's absolutely. Not yeah. yeah. No. But it, now that I have an understanding of how you came up with your company title, that just makes so much more sense because you, in order for it to be maintained, you, you have to use other sometimes sustainable methods that help put the pressure off what we're currently doing to the world. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's, it's not a farmed versus the ocean or farmed to save the ocean. I mean, mm-hmm. I think folks have a very narrow lens of how seafood operates. I mean, if you take a look, um, you know, again, temporary outrage, but the footage, you know, along the Carolinas after the last hurricanes went through mm-hmm. and the devastation to the ocean and the estuaries from yeah. all of the runoff from the hog farms, right? Like that's got a much more devastating impact on that environment than a fish farm well-managed ever would, yeah. right? But yeah. that, you know, but that goes away. But, you know, our whole food system contributes to the problems, but also equally to the solutions. If we're able to eat more seafood and less terrestrial animals, we can farm those terrestrial animals in a much better way, in a way that's maybe even restorative for the environment. I mean, grazing is a very good thing. If we didn't need so goddamn many cows, maybe we could graze them (laughs) again instead of growing them in feedlots. Yeah, absolutely. I want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned how, as an industry, we should not be spending our time and money patting ourselves on the back. Um, that's what happens all the time. <laughs> and we were talking about this actually right before we started recording is something that comes up in all of these episodes is uh, this concept of the vacuum that the industry is in and all of these amazing things that are happening and the advancements in sustainability and antibiotic usage and or decrease of antibiotic usage, things like that. And uh, we love to get together and pat ourselves on the back and talk about all these great things, but no one can ever seem to break out of that vacuum and get some of this good information out to the consumers. So what's your approach to reaching an audience outside of the seafood industry? Because I know that's a challenge for a lot of the people that are in the industry. Yeah, so a couple of things. You know, we use social a lot because we can target people who have similar values that might not be current seafood consumers, but who care about sustainability or care about resource efficiency or care about clean eating. So, you know, those are effective channels to be able to reach it. But, you know, as our company has grown and evolved and we've learned, you know, there are some structural things in the industry that I think are holding it back from reaching its potential and the potential we need it to have. Like, for example, the seafood department in the store itself, I think is one of the biggest hurdles. If we have an area of the store that nine out of 10 shoppers don't go to, right? We're already starting with a quite small pie. And I had um, one retailer that we work with who has a very highly regarded seafood program, one of the top in the industry. 
and described that their entire seafood department, fresh, frozen, meal solutions, everything in that, is less than shredded bagged cheese for that retailer, right? And so if you think about the amount of resources that goes into managing that program from the store level and the training that those personnel need compared to bags of shredded cheese, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's interesting to think about you know, people are like, well, well, we don't spend enough money on, on marketing for seafood. If I were a retailer, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no there's very little ROI on it. Right. So it, it you know, it becomes the industry's role to grow that piece of it. And so if we feel like the seafood department is part of the problem and I, I, I mean that with a lot of respect. Right. But it's incredibly expensive to bring people to the seafood department to change their behavior, to change how and where they shop. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to bring seafood to people where they are in products that they already buy in places in the store that they already frequent. And so I feel like that's one of the biggest ways that we're reaching new consumers is different placements, right? Yep. So kind of saying no to seafood and saying yes to entrees or saying yes to deli or saying yes to snacks or saying yes to baby foods, right? So places where people are already shopping they know in the back of their mind they want to be eating more seafood. Oh, well, I could get fish sausage on my pizza. I'll try that one. That sounds interesting, right? I was going to eat a microwavable bowl for lunch with chicken in it. Maybe I'll grab that one right beside it that has fish in it instead, you know? And it's those small motions that start to add up to much larger and larger impact. I mean, I think if we want seafood to win, eventually the seafood department itself needs to go away. And we need to have... It just needs to be integrated with everything else. Completely across the store, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I I can tell you, like, you know, we started a line of microwavable entrees and the number of times that we've gone in and presented to a frozen seafood buyer and they're like, oh, this has fish in it? You need to talk to the seafood department. It's like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Do you send the vegetarian entrees to the produce (laughs) department? No. You know, why is seafood different? Why is it special? And it's that specialness, I think, is is holding it back. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Yeah, it's good to have guests like you on the show because we get to hear perspectives that we don't always get to hear. So, and I know you might have another point to Sean's question, so I don't want to steal your thunder there, but you're, you've also been making, have put a lot of effort into your packaging as well. Like you're mm-hmm. using environmentally friendly packaging. So you're making sure that, you know, not only are you providing a nutritious and healthy seafood dish that can also be convenient for people, which people love, but you're, being aware of the packaging that mm-hmm. you're packing it in. Walking the walk. Walking the walk, yep. It's a journey. I, I feel like every company is on a journey and we will never be as sustainable as I want to be. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could close my eyes and make a wish for Love the Wild, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I wouldn't have any packaging. I will have migrated people to the fresh case and a more European model of shopping where they buy you know, small amounts daily yep. that's fresh, that's local, that's, you know, sustainable, and they go home and they cook it. And yeah. it comes wrapped in paper that goes into the compost bin. Yeah. But we're not there yet. And for me, I feel like the biggest thing that I can do with my company is to get people eating more seafood. That's a much bigger win than, you know, reducing packaging. But we can do both of it at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your products a little bit. Are you highlighting any new products right now that you want to tell people about? What's your biggest uh, push right now? You have the microwavable meal kits. So just, we, just tell us about what your, yeah, so what your product we have, is. We have two product lines in market today. Okay. One is a microwavable entree. So it's like an Evol bowl or an Amy's bowl, like for folks or like lean cuisine, that kind of thing. Yep. But mm-hmm. it features, you know, great seafood and 
It's completely office friendly. If you microwave it, you're not going to be that guy. It's just going to. We smell. have a few of those guys yes, around this yes, office. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to smell fishy. It's just going to smell good, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's one of the things that you know blows most people away. But um, the quality of the seafood in it is also incredible. And people are like, oh, I don't understand. This isn't dry. This doesn't taste fishy. It's like, well, if you start with good quality product and you treat it the right way, you're going to end up with something really great and something that's really special. So those are one product line that I'm really excited about because they bring seafood into another eating occasion. Mm -hmm. So right now, most of the seafood products in this country are aimed at dinner, right? So it's things that you cook at home. Like no one like whips up some, well, maybe a few people around this office, but (laughs) whips up some (laughs) fish real quick for lunch, right? Maybe you'll grab a tray of sushi every once in a while. Or breakfast. Yeah, yeah. You know, locks and eggs, but yeah. but it brings it brings seafood into that kind of quick meal, like you know, get something in the kids before lacrosse practice, or you know, dinner on the go at the office, or you know, that kind of thing that I think is really yeah. important. And it's also capitalizing on that seafood for one, where there's a lot of folks who you know, again, like me, I've got four kids and a husband at home, and you know, granted, we all eat a lot of seafood, but if my family didn't and I wanted to eat seafood personally, my opportunities are limited because if I put something on the table that my family doesn't eat, I have a lot of hangry people and I've wasted a lot of money, right? (laughs) So if you have opportunities to help people increase it one person at a time, I think that's important. How do you come up with those meal kits? Um, Do you have like consulting chefs that help you develop a recipe for the whole package or is it you? Do you do it? Or? Yeah, so, well, the meal kits are a second line. Those are oh, okay. typically a seafood department product and those are fish and sauce and parchment paper that are oven ready. So the bowls go in the microwave, the kits go in the oven. Um, we started off with internal R&D. So we did some of it ourselves and then brought in experts to help kind of scale from kitchen yeah. recipes into commercial. Mm-hmm. But as we've evolved as a company and our aspirations were kind of across product lines and across product categories, particularly outside of seafood, we've decided to hire world-class fractional experts in each of those areas. Because if I make a microwavable seafood bowl and it tastes disgusting or it smells bad, I'm done. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. You don't yeah. get a second shot, right? Like people are already squeamish enough about seafood yep. that we want best-in-class products right out of the gate. And so we've kind of expanded our team, kind of to include a lot more experts in different particular areas. So experts in frozen, experts in you know how do you reconstitute things, um, and have a much larger pool of folks who spend less time with us. That's pretty cool. And I think, and you spoke to this earlier, that kind of getting the message across is more beneficial if it's simple. And I think you've kind of mastered that with your packaging as well. I've looked at some of what you've done and it really, I mean, you did a really great job with with your marketing, simplified, telling exactly what it is in a colorful and simple enough package where I think it, for consumers who maybe haven't, are willing to try something different, whether that's seafood or a seafood kit. I think that you did a really good job with drawing consumers in to, uh, to try your product. Thanks. You know, but that's an ongoing challenge. It's one that constantly evolves, mm-hmm. right? Like we've yeah. only been in business for four years, but the claims that consumers are looking for change every single year. And I feel like the seafood industry is incredibly slow to adapt or they get one great packaging innovation and they roll with it for 10, 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, since we started, when we first started four years ago, no added hormones was a huge claim that folks were looking for. People yep. don't give a shit today. What they want to know today is, is this keto friendly? 
Mm. Is this, you know, gluten-free, right? Well, fish has always been gluten-free, but just elevating those claims that people care about to the front of the package, you know, goes a long way. And I guarantee you next year, it's going to be a completely different set that consumers are looking for. And we need to be ready to help folks understand how seafood meets them where they are with the challenges that they have today. Now, is that something that you do on a yearly basis to kind of follow those trends? And how often would you... I mean, we're watching the trends all the time. And, you know, every time we do a new kind of production run or packaging run, we roll in kind of new changes. And we've learned some smart things, right? Like black plate changes are really cheap on packaging. So anything that we anticipate will or could change goes in black. And so if I want to change kind of the claims that are printed on the front of the box in black, you know, that's cheap and easy to do, yeah, right? Yeah. Where, where if it's full color, you know, that's that's a little, a little bit, more bit harder. And, and more it, expensive, yeah. And it takes longer, right? So we'll, we might do kind of a full revamp, you know, every year, maybe every nine months. But every couple of weeks, there's a new iteration kind of sneaking in there. Yeah, it's interesting. How are you able to take care of, stay on top of all that stuff with just four people in the office? You know, we're we're very good at what we do and we're very passionate about it. You know, like it's I I wish I sometimes had more balance. But, you know, someone explained to me that, you know, the idea of balance itself is a myth that you should really be working on something that fulfills you kind of completely. And I feel like that's what I'm doing on a lot of levels. Not only am I making an impact on the seafood industry and I'm attacking a challenge that I feel it has global importance and changing how people eat and how they think about it and providing encouragement to farms to make the investments to improve things. But I'm also showing my kids that like you can make a difference. And if you work really hard, you can do it, you know, and it might it might take a little while, but I think these are important things that if everyone can understand the impact that their personal choices make and changing the greater that we're doing well. But that being said, I don't think there's a moment that I don't think about seafood. I think about it in the shower. I think about it when I drive to work. You know, I think about it in the middle of the night. You know, I'm always reading things and paying attention. I'm looking at what's happening in other places in the natural food industry. You know, we do a lot more in natural food than we do in seafood because, frankly, there's more innovation in natural food. Like spending half a day and walking around the Natural Products Expo and looking at the claims that people are making and the packaging that they're using. You know, I think we can we can learn a lot more that way that we can translate into seafood than we can the other way. That's was, like that's a quotable moment. That whole <laughs> section. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, a couple more questions. Where can people find your product if they're in the U.S.? Are you at a lot of the large grocery chains, or are you still kind of expanding? I mean, you're probably always expanding into new. Yeah, I mean, we're chains. always we're always experimenting and learning, experiment different placements and things. But today, um, Whole Foods nationwide, folks can find our products, the seafood kits, you know, as well as a lot of natural premium kind of smaller retailers. The microwavable entrees, we're really excited. Um, close to a thousand Target stores are rolling those out, so they'll be available oh, nice. across the country there. Awesome. So, something personal. What's your favorite seafood dish? <laughs> My favorite seafood. And why? I know I'll get spanked for this, but um, snapper ceviche. But thankfully, there's some great farm snapper now. But for me, you know, it tastes great. But I will always remember when I was in Whole Foods, I have four little kids, right? And my third daughter was about three at the time. And they had um, a whole bunch of fresh snapper whole fish kind of in the bunkers in front of the fresh case, like sitting on ice. And she grabbed the biggest one. (laughs) 
and she came running across the produce department carrying this fish, <laughs> you know? And like, meanwhile, I'm like, my heart's palpitating. I'm like, oh my God, that's like a $160 fish. That's what, Don't 30 bucks it. a pound yeah, yeah. And, and $10. Hours. I'm like, oh my God, now that you've like mangled and hugged and manhandled this thing and dropped it twice on the way to the cucumbers, <laughs> like I can't put it back in yeah. the case, right? But she comes running over and she's like, mommy, can we have snapper? You know, and so we brought it home. And How do you say no to that? <laughs> I know. So we dropped our grocery budget for the week on that one fish, but we brought it home. And, you know, I have a I have a Deba, a Japanese kind of fillet knife that I love. And, you know, we filleted it together and, you know, made ceviche. And it's it's one of her favorite things, too. But for me, that one will always have some little importance. And just the looks, <laughs> almost like in slow motion of other shoppers in the store and the guys behind the seafood counter <laughs> when she's like running with this fish was, That's yeah. awesome. So we've been going for a solid 45 minutes-ish. Um, so I don't want to go too long, take up too much of your time, even though you came all the way here just to spend your time with <laughs> us. We really appreciate that. Um, so if there's one takeaway for our listeners from this conversation, what would you like that to be? What do you want our listeners to get out of this? Don't overthink it. Don't burn a single brain cell. Just eat seafood. You would have to work really, really hard to buy seafood that's not sustainable or not good for you in the U.S. So just eat it. And by you eating it, the whole industry is going to improve and your, your personal health is going to improve. So when in doubt, pick seafood. I love it. Simple, clear, to the point. Yep. Are you okay if people want to contact you? What's the best way for people to learn more about Love the Wild and if they want to ask any questions of you? However they want to. However they want. So, <laughs> and there's probably a contact us button or p- uh, yeah, page so on, on Love the Wild website. Our website, website um, lovethewild.com. Uh, we also are on our social all the time. So you could reach out in a DM. You can email me, Jacqueline at lovethewild.com. And, and we'll put the links to your website on the show notes mm-hmm. for this episode. As, as well as other things that we talked about that uh, we can help guide our, our listeners. I'm curious, and this doesn't have to go on record. Um, <laughs> but so you're out in Colorado. You're my job nice and easy. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, when it, this was going too smoothly, I have to <laughs> do something to mess your editing up. Uh, so you're out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And forgive me if you did mention this already, but how did you get from Pennsylvania to Colorado and then specifically into the s- seafood industry in a state that's so far from the coast even though you're pro farm seafood and that can be done anywhere mm-hmm. how did you kind of get to like the middle of the country yeah the um, well there's a long answer and a short answer i mean i've i've lived all over the world um, i've had the opportunity to do a lot of really great things we used to spend the winter skiing in telluride until my oldest daughter it was time for her to start kindergarten And we're like, oh, my God, we're not going to be able to move to Telluride for the winters now. So, of course, we held her back for a year and did it for one more year. And then like, okay, we really can't keep doing this. So we moved to we moved to Colorado. But in regards to seafood, you know, I'm a I'm a water person. I'm a Pisces. It's shocking how many Pisces there are in this business. But I'm much nicer to be around if you can see the water. So obviously I had to start a company where I could write off all of my business trips to the water. On a regular basis, there was some strategy involved in that. But, you know, (laughs) but seriously and frankly speaking, Boulder is one of the hubs for natural food industry in the world. And there's a lot of great minds and a lot of innovation and a lot of support for that that happens right there in Boulder that... Um, One of the reasons we were able to go from a crazy idea to products selling on store shelves in four months is 
the access to experts that we had and resources in Boulder. Yep. I mean, the people who would stop by our office and just say hi and ask if we needed help with anything are kind of the dream team list that are out there. So kind of similar to what we were talking about before, uh, I feel like there's a lot more to learn about how to sell great food from outside of the seafood industry than inside of it. And we can learn quickly and kind of raise it for everybody. That's what we want to do. Awesome. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I don't, no? I don't think on the podcast. I just, <laughs> you know, we're we're big GAA fangirls um, at Love the Wild. You know, you guys have done a lot of hard work in making things consumer friendly and showed a lot of leadership, and we really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, well we, we appreciate, appreciate you coming all the way to the East Coast and here in Portsmouth to sit down and have a great conversation. Yeah, not a lot appreciate of people that. would up and and come on over to New Hampshire. It's not a place they get excited about going a lot of times. <laughs> See, we're, we're hoping too that we can leverage ourselves to also travel to really nice places yeah. to uh, record some We've been able to do a little bit of it. We're able to get, get to some, some cool places. Well, Me? you were in Dublin mm-hmm. for our goal conference last year. That was kind of cool to be able to go there. Podcast wasn't up and running yet, but... We might have to do a part two Love the Wild in the winter and go to Boulder to do some skiing. I think it's really important, especially to see where the water starts. That's true. Love it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Jack and Claudia from Love the Wild. We really appreciate you joining us and love what you're doing and good luck in the future. Thank you. We've got a lot of work to do, but we're going to get it done. All right. Absolutely. So thanks so much for listening. Once again, I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Justin Grant. Thanks, guys. Folks, that was our conversation with Jacqueline Claudia from Love the Wild. Like I said, I know I got a lot out of it, and I hope that you did too. If you enjoyed this conversation and you want to hear more like it, make sure you subscribe to the Aquademia podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, uh, Podbean, web browser, wherever you listen, and make sure you tell everyone about it because we really want to get the word out and get people to eat more sustainable, healthy seafood. If you want to talk to us, send us an email at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or give us a call and leave us a message at 1-603-384-3560. You can also find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod and make sure you go to aquaculturealliance.org slash membership to become a member and get access to all of the exclusive content from extra audio content, videos, our social media platforms, Form, online courses, all kinds of special stuff. So make sure you check that out and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks everyone. Thank you.